0: Welcome to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers.
1: And a very pleasant Saturday afternoon. It is uh, Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander in Bunker de France, Todd Roberts, I don't know where he is,
2: someplace. Somewhere out there.
1: Somewhere, uh, doing stuff. And today it's the... uh, this is November, for God's sake. Who's our guest? Well, I'm just remarking it is November.
2: It is November,
1: it's, but it doesn't feel like it. No, it doesn't. Not not in Arizona, it don't. Um, but maybe in it's probably New, snowing in but, Santa Fe. But in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico, I reckon it's a lot different. Our guest is uh, I don't know how many time award uh, spur award winner and eight uh, eight, eight times spur award winner, and he is also an, a winner of the Owen Wister Award. He's also been inducted into the Cowboy Hall of Fame. Always wanted to introduce somebody. of The Hall of Famer, Johnny Boggs. (laughs) Hey, Johnny, how are you?
3: I'm doing great. How are y'all?
1: And congratulations on all of those awards, sir.
3: Well, thank you very much.
1: I'm I'm just sitting here in in total blithered all. Uh, I I know you you love baseball a lot, Johnny, and and being a Hall of Famer, man. (laughs) Hey, yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. That's what I said. Maybe... Maybe George Brett will start returning my calls now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Uh, well, we are here to talk with you about a bunch of things, but most notably you uh, did a wonderful article uh, about uh, Max Evans in um, the Roundup. But you had something first, Michael? Yeah, of? I want
2: to just do our little news, oh, yeah, news in the West before yeah. we yeah. before we get going, because once we get going, we never, we never we back up. Yeah. <laughs> and we forget everything. But uh, last week... Uh, on the 2nd, that would have been Burt Lancaster's birthday if he was still alive. It still is, but he's dead, so <laughs> I don't know what that that is. Uh, we lost Sean Connery this week, and we may talk about him for a bit or two during the show because he's an interesting man, and he did... I, f- I figured it out. He did one and a half Westerns and one Moroccan Western. Okay. so, so I mean, I, he qualifies. Okay. And now uh, this is a special feature. This is goes out primarily for the folks here in Tucson. Equine Voices Rescue and Sanctuary Annual Fall Fundraiser Boots, Bandanas, and Brunch. This year's event uh, features a different format from previous. An afternoon brunch instead of an evening dinner. It will be held at the Tubac Golf and Resort and Spa on Sunday, November 15th from 11 to 3 p.m. There will be live music by David Reichner I told you about Harry. Yes, you did. And he's a fantastic musician. We've got to have him on the show sometime. There's going to be hors d'oeuvres, a cash bar, a sit-down brunch, a silent auction, a live auction, which will not be silent, hopefully, <laughs> uh, 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 hosted by the dynamic Leticia Fayel. Leticia, now there's a name for you. Yeah. Anyhow, this year's <laughs> silent auction will have over 200 exciting goodies, Including artwork, jewelry, gift baskets, and all other kinds of muck. Uh, the featured live auction item is a seven-night stay at a private Caribbean beach house in Belize that sleeps six to eight people. Tickets for the event are seventy-five dollars per person. I don't. I mean, I, 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 it would never do for me to win one of those things. Cause I don't know six or seven people that I'd want to spend a weekend with it. And and especially do, in Belize. I got no, and neither, no desire.
1: And neither do six or seven people who know you. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, if they know me, they wouldn't want to spend the week with me either.
1: Hall of Famer Johnny Boggs, and uh, we're doing uh, Max Evans. Great article that you uh, did in the uh, uh, Roundup magazine. Um, you, you knew Max, right? Who? <laughs> yeah. That's what I thought.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Max I, knew Max. I knew Max for. You know, twenty something years. Yeah,
1: um, yeah. We had Robert Nodd on a couple of uh, uh, two weeks ago, uh, shortly mm-hmm. after uh, Max had passed, and because uh, I remember uh, we had Robert and Max on at the same time when Emil was still with us uh, a couple of years ago, and that was just after the uh, a book about Pack and Paul came out. Right. And so we had him. We had Robert back to talk about that. Well, you know.
2: Yeah. I- go ahead.
3: No, I said I was actually at the lunch. Max and Robert and I had lunch ah. uh, down in Albuquerque. We we do that a lot. And I was in that lunch when uh, Max asked uh, Robert if, if he would help him write what turned out to be going crazy with Sam Peckinpah and, and all our friends. Oh, nice. And I was just sitting there saying, thank God <laughs> Max didn't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> we
1: we laughed because... Johnny Boggs has the reputation among uh, a lot of people that uh, yes, he does. He, he writes very quickly. He has a book out very quickly, and we'll have we'll find out how many he's completed uh, by, before the end of the show.
2: But that's why we laugh. You know, I've just got to thinking, it. If he writes so many books, how many does he start? Does does, <laughs> does he, do you finish all the books you start? Oh yeah.
3: Um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, Uh-oh. I'd say so.
2: I mean... That's good. I mean, the Baton well, average I'm pretty point, good.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm at the point where, you know, when people ask me to write a book, and then I get the contract, and then I write the book. So, <laughs> um, so I have to finish it if I want to get the rest of my money, yeah, you know. or, or keep them from coming back for the money they've already given me.
2: Yeah, Yeah. that's a good incentive. <laughs> well, you know, there's a... I come across a little a statistic here on the... Western Writers' list of best Western authors of the 20th century. Now I don't know how old this list is, but it had Max down at number 11, and I'm just wondering, has he gone up or down? And have you made the list yet?
3: <laughs> uh, they keep me off those lists. I'm, I'm pretty sure about that. <laughs> uh.
2: You got to die first, I guess. Yeah. We don't want that. Oh, my. Well,
1: folks who may have a question who are listening to the live stream, uh, you can uh, um, comment. Uh, it's on the I'm ex- M-I-X-L-R, Mixler uh, app that is on our website. Just click on the chat thingy there, and the uh, window will come up, ask your questions, and with luck, I'll be able to respond. <laughs> or you can uh, email us at voicesofthewest at gmail.com. Uh, you can also comment on our Facebook page at Facebook get yeah, voices of the West,
2: or you can just totally ignore us and yeah, treat us too, like a stepchild. Yeah, that too, we're, we're pretty used to that kind yeah. of. Well, you know, I I, <clears throat> I come across another list here about Max, and it, it said he was a cowboy, a painter, a prospector, a land trader, used car dealer, gold smuggler, and worked in to be a writer there somehow. <laughs> Would you like to pick any one of those occupations and? comment on it? I'd like to hear about him as a car dealer myself.
3: Yeah. You, know, you know, car dealing is one thing he never really really talked to me a whole lot about. Um, <laughs> he, he was also a mystic. Uh, he was a soldier uh, who was yeah. wounded during the uh, D-Day kind of campaign. Um, uh, he was a, pretty, much a, pretty much a rapscallion and, and a yeah. great ballroom brawler.
2: Really? Oh yeah, brawler. I thought I was. I don't know why I was doing. You said what? You said dancer. He said, <laughs> said barroom. I thought he said uh, ballroom, baller. And I'm thinking I didn't know he was a dancer. Turn up the hearing aid. <laughs> yeah, you learn stuff all the time. Well, you know what's interesting too is he. You know he, he was a smuggler, and apparently he. Uh, I can't think. I've got it here in my notes somewhere, but up in Colorado. He did a, uh, I guess, dictated to them his career as a smuggler and said that uh, that, uh, not to publish it until 2020. And that has come to pass. And so I'm just wondering if anybody is lining up to find out the the details. Because, you know, smuggling gold is one thing, but he, he also, I guess, excelled at bat guana smuggling.
3: Well, he, he, he had his fingers in many many pots and, and yeah. he had stories that he could often tell tell about those um, uh, he was telling me uh, probably one of the last times we actually went out to lunch uh, Robert Nod and I were there um, and he was talking about um, one time when he had he had um, he, he had this mine which he had a, num- a number of mines that he would he would try and he, he started um, selling stock um um but and then the you know pay he you know getting this money from all these people, and then the you know, said you can't do that, <laughs> you can't just go to the bar or wherever you are and start selling stock i mean you, they're they're a little the, so the judge was like just, you know, exasperated with their, their complete and total ignorance. And he says, here's what you got to do. You've got to, you've got to return the money. You've got to just, you know, you can't have anything to do with this mind. And he says, okay, so, you know, that kept them out of jail or, or prison. And, uh, and then he says that the thing turns out to be this mind was producing like Twenty four seven. It was just one of the wow. best minds he had ever had. He oh. goes and it's just sending out these profits to all the people that wound up as investors in it when he couldn't take a dime out of it. <laughs> and he says, right, you know, I got to thank God. I got to thank you know everybody for, for, for because do you realize what would have happened to me if I had all this money? I'd have spent it on all the bars. I would have been, I'd have been, you know, I'd have drunk myself to death. So this was a great blessing. So he was, he was thanking the judge for uh, all these years later for saving his life by making him stop selling illegal stocks
1: He must have thought he was in a, a in a western where the, the the guy strikes gold and all of a sudden he's going to go into town and 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 find more to more folks, more folks to grub stake him. I bet you that, that. I bet that's what he, his thought process was. <laughs>
4: you know,
2: I, I've I've, I've got to say, you know, just delving into his life and and hearing about him all my life as he, you know, he was always always kind of a New Mexico legend. But uh, you know, I think when they print any new dictionaries and they put the word cowboy in there, they should put his picture next to it because yeah. this guy was. And when I say this, I'm preface this on. All the different cowboys I've known, you know, and they're not like. This is a, this is what a cowboy is. It's not like Roy Rogers or yeah. or Casey Tibbs. It's all these different guys, con men. Uh, I know I knew cowboys that all they all they wanted to do was find a rich widow, and get married and 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 and, and have a ranch. Yep. Yeah, he was that, that. He was the, the, the poster child.
3: Well, he, you know, he started that well, He started out as you know, um, young boy. They, they they he came up to. Um, he was born and in, in down around the the Texas New Mexico border, and mm-hmm. they, they sent him up as about well, really young to this while uh, working uh, ranch up in Glorieta Mesa, and that's where he started. You know, roping and, and doing all this. But at the bunkhouse, there were all these cowboys. They had a complete volume, uh, a complete set of uh, Balzac. Um, and he started reading those, and that kind of just got him interested in, in more and more into literature. I mean, it, but it also kind of just we think of cowboys, and, and they're just, you know, there's nothing in the bunkhouse. But here you got a bunkhouse filled with Balzac and, and other, you know, Shakespeare and other classic literature. Of course, Max says. They probably had never been read and never would have been read if I hadn't picked them up and started reading, them. <laughs> and that's how he got interested in, in in writing. And it took him a long time. He was actually an artist, yeah. a fairly well to do, or, or he was an up and coming artist in uh, in Taos, and uh, then he just decided, you know, I want to write. I want to write, and that's that's what he started to do. Well, you and know- his, his wife, God bless him, for for gosh, sixty, seventy years. Um, she, she said, all right, do it. Go ahead. And he always thanked. I mean, that was one thing Max did. The first time I ever talked to him, he says he had written this book, and he, um, and it turned out to be the high-low country. Uh, and he said he had something wrong with it, and he couldn't figure out what was wrong with it. And Pat, his wife, who's still with us, was always editing his book, so he turned it over to her and says, what's wrong with it? And she said, you've got a couple chapters out of sequence here. Said, <laughs> oh, my. And he, he always said, he said, if, think what would happened if I'd send that book in. Uh, to an editor, it'll looked at this and said, "This is idiot- you're an idiot. Don't ever bother us again." That book would never have been published. That book never had been published. Sam Paul would have never taken an option of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a good, fairly good chance that uh, the Rounders would never have been made to a movie.
5: Yeah.
3: Um, but so that, that he says, I mean, she she's responsible for all the success I had as a writer because that that kind of set me on the path that um, that he kept up with for gosh, 1960 to, to, he was, and he just finished his his um, his um last novel uh, right before he died and it yeah. came out right before he died and I was kind of happy about that so he at least got to, to hold the book in his hand.
2: Well, You know, one of the things I think uh, about uh, him when he was a painter is that he would be the perfect guy to be a, a painter in Taos. You know, you have that just the right amount of cowboy bs to go with the paintings to be <laughs> successful because uh as you know John cuz you're up there in Santa Fe and at the art community up there uh they've got some just fantastic artists but they've also got some fantastic bs artists up there too <laughs> that's what life is is a bunch they're of
3: bs all they're all they're all kinds <laughs> You know, Santa Fe tiles—they've got something for everyone. If you like D.S. artists, you can find it here. If you like contemporary, if you like <laughs> abstract, if you like, you know, uh, photorealism—it's uh, all—it's all there. Um, yeah, actually, like- Max said he said his first date he took Pat on. Was- to a, an art opening of his own work.
4: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, that's kind of uh, arrogant of you. I asked, I asked Pat, did you think anything about it? Because goes, oh, no, I like art,
2: so it was okay.
5: <laughs>
2: oh, so there's not a whole lot to do up there. So, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, have you, have you ever been over to the uh, Max Seven room at the uh, Lovington-Lee County Museum?
3: No, and Max always told me I had to get down there. so I need to get down there at some point.
2: Yeah, you better <laughs> Well, well, uh, University of Texas at El Paso has his literary archives. Have you ever do- crawled through those guys? Well, Max told
3: me when he was making some of his donations, he was he was putting this all down, and and he, he actually now Max tells a lot of things, and and a lot of them are true, but not always. Yeah. But he said he put me down as I, I was supposed to have access to his archives. Oh, He's
5: that's the first cool.
3: to have access to his archives when after he passed. Now he might have told two hundred other people that same thing just to just to start another ballroom fight. But yeah. Uh, well, well, you well, yeah, <laughs> the thing I got about that. Max that always impressed me was. Um, he'd tell the stories, and a lot of the stories um, he'd repeat a little bit, but they he might throw in an extra nugget. He might change something or add a little bit, but the stories are pretty much the same. Now, it's had impressed me is, you know, the guy's telling the truth, and I think, I've said this for a number of years, I don't think Max ever wrote a word of fiction.
5: Mm-hmm. I
3: think there is a lot of truth in everything he wrote. Uh, especially in, in the high-low country and, and the rounders and, and a lot of the short stories.
1: Uh. Truth is better than fiction. <laughs> yeah. We're yeah. talking with uh, Western Writers of America author uh, Johnny D. Boggs here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. We've got to do our very first commercial break, so we're going to do that, and uh, stay tuned, because we will be right back with much more right after these important messages.
0: imus wilkinson investments they're really good at what they do 777-1911 america let me tell you about sergeant greg anderson served two tours in afghanistan bronze star and purple heart recipient and unemployed the unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high much higher than the general population Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honorveterans to find out how you can help. Watch classic Western movies anytime at (laughs) voicesofthewest.net.
1: are back on amo Franzi's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander and Bunker de France. Todd Roberts is missing someplace. Incognito somewhere. And uh, our guest is Western Writers of America author uh, Johnny D. Boggs. And uh, we got a little border incident at 4 a.m. That's the name of this. Yeah. Is that,
2: is that, is that a theme from something? Yeah. border. Uh, it's 4 a.m. at the border. 4 am at the border that's yeah, oh, what the song is called that's, that's too early to be at the border <laughs> we think that
1: uh, we think Todd Roberts has uh, forgotten <laughs> the, 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 the time, time change. Yeah. <laughs> because he's in uh, California and uh, I mean we don't change our clocks in Arizona we but we have no problem uh, yeah we don't have it we don't care about time change but I'm, <laughs> I'm willing to bet that's what happened to Todd. change my watch i ain't gonna change my <laughs> stinking watch <laughs> all right we are talking with Johnny Boggs and Bunker Europe.
2: Well, you know, <clears throat> I mentioned earlier that we lost Sean Connery this last week. And he's guilty of making, like I said, uh, one and a half Westerns, one Moroccan Western. But the one Western, and Johnny, I want to get your feet on this especially. Or Shalako or uh, Chalaco, terrible hat. Uh, <laughs> one of the worst hats <laughs> ever in a movie. Uh, but you know it, it 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 had an interesting premise you know he was he was guiding a bunch of uh europeans on on a hunting expedition in the west, and that's always been a one of my that was one of emo's favorite topics yeah, too yeah. but what did you think of shallco um uh
3: not much <laughs> yeah
2: and I appreciate that because you're a you're a film guy
3: uh yeah it's based on a louis L'Amour novel um yeah. And it it was uh, uh, like you said, it's an interesting premise, and and it's a great there are great stories to be told about these, these, you know, Buffalo Bill Cody and and Texas Jack Omahundro or sometimes they even try to get Wild Bill Hickok would come and escort these people these paying gigs, uh, just to um, you know shoot a buffalo or whatever. Uh, And this in this in the story here, um, they they run afoul of some. Mean people and and Indians and all that. It's just uh, it's just uh, a disaster. And that happens a lot in in movies. And and, and,
2: and I like the way you put it.
3: Sean Connery got paid, and then he was fine with it. You know, I was reading an article or a quote from Barbara Stanwyck uh, in a biography of hers, and she said uh, she was talking about one. I think it was might have been Cattle Queen of Montana, one of her her movies. And she goes, you know, sometimes. Um You take the role, the script's not finished, you start shooting it, you realize it 's terrible, and you just you say you just do your best, work your way through it, and then pray to God, nobody goes to see it <laughs> well
2: you know i like I like the way you describe that. It runs into some bad people <laughs> oh perfect, but you know now, there are some interesting things about this movie, though. the technical advisor was Rod Redwing. Who was one of the top gun guys, knife and Tommyhawk guys, and what do you, what were your point? Oh no,
1: I, I, I believe uh, Mr. Roberts
2: is with us. Oh, is he? Are you there, Tom? Mr.
5: Mr. Roberts is here. Hey,
2: uh, were, hey. Were
5: you on California time when you? Well, uh, it's three twenty three, so yeah. Uh, no,
2: no, 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 no. It's it's <laughs> it's four twenty five.
5: It doesn't matter. <clears throat> say he- it is not four twenty-five. Say hello. It
1: is here, Todd. Say hello to Johnny Boggs.
5: <laughs> Johnny Boggs. I'm sorry, Johnny Boggs. <laughs> that's oh, quite all right.
3: You know, that's it's the it's, you don't want to show up on time. You want to have this delayed, great entrance, and and you just did it. So now all the focus is on you.
5: Yeah. 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 Well, well that's the last thing I want, Johnny Boggs. Uh, <laughs> As, you know, as as the, as our fearless leader used to say all the time, he'd call me up in the middle and just sometimes late at night, sometimes early in the morning, he'd say, he would call me, he'd get me on the phone and he'd say, hey, Tiger. <laughs> I'd say, oh, hi, buddy, uh, uh, what's going on? It'd be 6 o'clock, 6.30 in the morning sometimes. He said, well, I was talking to Boggs last night and he was telling me about this book and it's really great. You better read it. Listen, I got to go. Take care. Bye. <laughs>
2: Well, you know, I was talking about about uh, the remnants of Shilako. and you know, Rod also he played uh, Chato's father in there, which was interesting because Chato was played by Woody Strobe, who's probably one of the greatest Black Indian actors. You know, he did so many of those good things.
5: Yeah, I, just, well, I don't know. I, we can't we can't forget that he was also a major star athlete at UCLA.
2: Yes, he was. He was a fantastic athlete. Oh, yeah, that's that. Now, the, uh, the half-Western that Connery did was the Molly Maguires, which was a damn good movie. It was Pennsylvania Coal Mines, 1876, and I've always said that the West started it at Jamestown, and if it's a mining, you know, mining, it's, it's almost default-Western. Anyhow, I liked it. What do you think? What do you guys think about Molly Maguires?
5: I I I agree. I li- I've always liked it, and I thought Sean Connery was, uh, you know, he was he was one of those actors that that always showed up and gave it his all. He didn't ever phone it in. Uh, and I whether you're talking about uh, the Molly Maguires or you're talking about. Uh, um, the uh, movie The Fort Futuristic Zardoz, or you're talking about uh, The Great Train Robbery, or um, anything. I just, I never, I, I enjoyed him every time I saw him film.
2: And now for the Moroccan Western. And if anybody tells me this is not a Moroccan Western, we're going to have to go out in the alley. <laughs> it's The Wind and the Lion. That is... I don't know, that's, you know, to me, when I saw Wind in the line, I, I thought, there is a guy that can stand on the same pedestal with John Wayne because he's well, that good.
5: Absolutely, and, and I think that Brian Keith, again, uh, I know we're not talking about him, but I found his Roosevelt to be completely yes. enigmatic and drew me in, gave me great pride and, and honestly piqued my interest about about uh, Roosevelt in such a way that I started reading about him, uh, and I love John Huston, yes. the Secretary of State, uh, who's you know just a, a great character actor he always was. But John Millius wrote that script and yes. directed it, and you know is a very close friend of our the friend of our show, uh, that being Dan Galliasso, yeah. and uh, he has tremendous stories about John Millius and. He's one of those guys like Connery that was the real deal.
0: Tell Johnny you won't ask him about the girl in Vegas with the fake boob job who showed him her boobs.
5: So, Johnny, I'm, I'm, I've am I'm been told that I'm not supposed to ask you about a certain female in Vegas that uh, you <laughs> and Dan, I guess, uh, met together.
2: If you won't ask, no, that, I that, will. That, that, that's a lie, uh, because
3: it was <laughs> uh, Vegas if it was Mesquite, Nevada.
5: <laughs> he, he says it was Mesquite, Nevada. Uh, not Vegas. Mesquite, uh, Nevada. Okay. Know. Well, thank you for that clarification.
3: It's important um, you know, to get, get, get the facts right. Um,
5: Johnny, now, did she have a, a, a one of those names like platinum, cashmere, silver, uh, silk, or anything like you that? You know, Satin. I, I,
3: I, I never got her name. You know, oh, like, okay. Uh, she just shows up. There was a, the the flash, and then then she's gone.
5: Um, she so. sounds like most. Of, it sounds like my dating life, Johnny. <laughs> she couldn't have. Okay.
2: Had, she couldn't have had the same name as Honor Blackman in, uh, in the uh, Goldfinger, could she?
5: Uh no, I don't think she had that name. <laughs> so,
2: yeah. Well, did Johnny no. did she? I, I you know
3: that that was gosh two thousand and
5: three?
3: <laughs> you know, that's a long time ago. Um, uh, yeah, um,
5: I, don't,
3: I don't remember a whole
2: lot about uh, that. But, uh, amnesia. Claim amnesia. <laughs> well, Maybe that wa- was her name, amnesia. There you you want to get on with Red River?
3: Though? Yeah, let's... let's okay, now, let, well, yeah, We're going to straighten this story out here. You know, I, I'm in the bar drinking a beer with some guys. These, these, <laughs> these two blondes come up and they start talking to the other two guys about, you know, horses or where you can get uh, quarter horses in, in uh, Nevada. So, there's nothing I can really add to this conversation, so I'm just hanging, hanging back drinking my beer, and then, you know, one of the women comes up and starts talking about whatever and stuff like that, and the next thing I know, she's decided to uh, flash her, her her chest out, and um, I'm just standing around there minding my own business, and then uh, they eventually go on their merry way, and I go back to the... Uh, to some other friends who were who had been watching the whole procedure, and I said, "But one guy says, you know, Johnny, you're just like the. We were watching you and, and trying to figure out what's going to happen. But you're you're like the ultimate Western hero. They think <laughs> they're going to lead you astray, but in the end, you do the right thing and, and walk away. Well, there.
4: Yeah,
3: that's the true story. There. That's
2: good. Well, she sounds like she was not a quarter horse, but a thoroughbred. <laughs> uh, where's where are the sound effects? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll
1: be here all week, folks.
3: Well, let's
2: let's let's
1: talk a little bit and
3: about. Speaking it. of Max Evans, uh...
4: <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> Get on with Red River. Oh, Red River. Yeah, let's. You're working on Red River now. Bring us up to date on what's happening there.
3: Well, I'm just I'm just tracking down all the information I can find about the making of Red River for a book project I'm working on for the University of New Mexico Press.
2: Hmm. So. well, let's see here. Oh, I got I got I'm going to test you and see if you got this stuff yet, or and you can add to it. But uh, uh, Glenn Strange, who did sixteen uh, westerns with Wayne, this was his last film that he worked with him. So I guess that would be seventeen. Uh, he he did. He was a drover and did stunts. Um, what can you add to that? He's
3: a quitter. A, He's a quitter that pays dearly for quitting.
2: Yes, he did. I'll teach him. And I guess Dick Dick Farnsworth. He worked on that. He he was one of the late additions of recent times. That's one of the great things. People go in there now and they find out stuff about the picture that when they were writing about it at the time never got never got written down and you know, seemed to be forgotten but it, somehow or another it bubbles to the surface like like crude
3: well there there's one story now now people tell different stories about different things that happened during the movie but one of the stories I'm, Farnsworth is apparently one of the the men Duns, Tom dunson played by John Wayne hires
5: mm-hmm.
4: it, when
3: after after the mutiny occurs and comes in it, I, I've never been able to spot him but there's a story that, you know, when Montgomery Cliff came out, um, he knew nothing about horses. He got there before they started shooting so he could, you know, ride the horses and get comfortable with the guns and get comfortable with the Western genre and outdoors, and, but mainly to ride horses. So they set him up, and one of the, one, I think the hawks or, or somebody, um, tells him, look, here's what you got to do, follow this cowboy around and to just copy every move he makes. If he scratches his butt, you scratch your butt just like he does, and you'll be okay. And um, and the, they say that was Richard Farnsworth, and that's who um, Montgomery Cliff followed around. The story is that they, when he got there, they just they just rode. They'd go up, uh, they'd pack a lunch, put it in the saddlebag, and just ride forever uh, just so Montgomery Cliff could get comfortable on the horse.
2: Well, you know, uh I've, I've I've actually seen Dick in the scene there when they when everybody at the end is all gathered around. Wayne hasn't uh, hasn't walked through the herd yet, and he's in the crowd with all of the cowboys that are standing there. And he's got a couple of shots that he shows up in. Now I've got a little a little piece here for you. There's a lady that she was uh, lived there in Elgin. Her name was Eva Ma Barnett, and. She was the woman in the rocking chair. Apparently, uh, like a lot of folks, she was used to sitting in that rocking chair in the afternoons. And when they wanted to shoot, she didn't want to leave. So they just talked her into putting wardrobe on and and being in the movie. How about that? That is perfect. (laughs) And now, i got some more local, local history on this thing for you, John. Like I said, there were some local wranglers worked on it. Uh, they also they did wagon work, worked with the livestock. They did stunts. One of the fellows was Luke Randolph. Another fellow was Bill Douglas. Benny Ward, who I knew really well, he was a, a heck of a cowboy, a heck of a wrangler. In uh, his later years, he wrangled all the westerns. Uh, Vernon Mounts. Uh, who ended up running at Mount Stables here in Tucson and furnished horses for the pictures for almost 20 years? Frank Clark, he was kind of a legend around this area. Uh, he was one of, considered one of the best mule men in the state, and he used he wore bib overalls and he would always carried a wrench in his in that you know the the loop for the hammer. Yeah. And if he got in a fight, he was the fastest wrench in the West. <laughs> uh, yeah. that's great. And the first uh, <clears throat> Teamster card to a local went to Bill Douglas. Now, how about all that?
3: Well, you're just a wealth of em... When, when are you going to write your Red River book?
2: Well, I, I, might, I might write a, a Red River uh, shredded wheat ingenuity card, but <laughs> that's probably better.
5: So, Johnny, i got to ask you a question. Yeah about Red River, I've read this before, and I just wanted to see if you found the same information, that, you know, Wayne was not that excited about having Montgomery Cliff, but once he found out that Cliff could drink extensively, like he could, that it warmed him a little bit more to to, to Cliff, because they would sit and drink way, way into the wee hours of the night. Uh, well, he, drinking, Hawks... Well, well, and several other fellows.
3: A lot of people were were, were, were drinking. Uh, I don't know if the Wayne uh, drank that much with Cliff, but uh, there was a lot of drinking going on. As as in most most, of but the drinking kind of got. I mean, John Ireland, uh, who clashed with Hawks, or Hawks didn't like him much for John Ireland, um, knew Montgomery Cliff for from um, Broadway because that's where they'd started out and. So they hung out a lot together, and, and when they had time off, they would go down to uh, Nogales, and Ireland said they'd just bring all the Wranglers down there with them, and they'd just fill the bathtub with beer, and then they'd drink, drink, drink as long as they could, and then come back up to start shooting with them again. So, um, Harry Carey, um, said, uh, a junior, um, said that, um, Wayne thought that uh, Cliff was a pain in the butt mm-hmm. um, but as, as um, uh, Harry said but Wayne never said that Cliff wasn't effective
2: so, well if I can add to that from what I have gathered was that uh, Wayne did respect uh, Cliff's professionalism but it was also on record that Wayne and Brennan didn't uh, take to him too well
3: well, the other thing was, um, um, I mean, the, the amazing thing is that the, the final fight scene um, they were talking about, you know, someone said, you know, John Wayne could have killed Montgomery Cliff with one punch. But the fact that they could make this fight scene seem so realistic was a credit to Hawk's direction, of course, in Christian Nibbe's, uh editing. But, uh, but he pulled it off. I mean, it was his first, um, his first film role and because of the delay I mean they filmed the movie 1946 mm-hmm. it's not released until um fall of 1948 uh because they ran into a lot of editing problems uh, and a lot of um uh, money problems mm-hmm. uh so meanwhile Cliff had made the search immediately after that the search came out first and the search actually he's actually nominated for an Academy Award for the search um
2: well, you know, there's a, there's a thing too is that people keep forgetting that uh, Ireland as Cherry Blanche uh, he puts a bullet in Wayne's rib just before the fight. That takes some of the that takes some of the starch out of you. Now, another, well, that
3: was another thing they said that that Hawk said he said, "Okay, well, I mean how can how can this happen?" He said, "Well, on the Hawk says if we if if I Kicked you in the jaw. Wouldn't that give me an advantage? Um, and you can see there's there actually one scene where he's uh, yes. still where Cliff is doing a football kick. That's not in the film, but he does kick up Adam when he's knocked to the ground, and connects on that. And then, like you said, he has been wounded by uh, John Ireland when they shoot each other, um, and so so that there is that effect of uh, so you now is the ending great. I mean that's that's one of the great debates on that and a lot yeah. of people found it's not. And even Hawks said, No, it's not it's not a great ending. It's not the ending I, I really wanted, but how would you end it? So there. I mean Hawks didn't want to kill Wayne, the Wayne character who dies in, in, in Borden Chase's book. Yeah. Uh he won't yeah, just didn't, didn't like to do that. He I mean he said he killed um you know in the original Dawn Patrol, the World War War Aviation movie from the 1930s says he kills the main character because that almost ruined the film. <laughs> so he's not going to do that. Now it's okay to kill Paul Mooney and Scarface. I mean, he, that's the reason you watch Scarface is yeah. to wait to see him die. But Hawks did not like killing no. people's characters that um, he thought the audience was going to like. Interesting.
1: We're, yeah. talking, we're, we're talking with uh, Western Writers of America author. Johnny D. Boggs, we are way over our bottom of the hour break.
2: Let's break.
1: We are Harry Alexander with you, along with Bunker de France and Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles. We'll be back with much more right after these very, very important messages. Stay with us. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. First, contact the Polash Management Company today at polashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Polash Management Company, property managers you
0: can trust. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year, we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. With the fall and the coming of cooler weather, Tucson Trap and Skeet now
3: institutes our fall hour. Office hours are Wednesday through Sunday from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m., and automated fields are open daily from 7 a.m. until dusk. So come out and shoot from one of our 50 trap fields, 13 skeet fields, or 5 international bunkers. Visit TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com for all of our upcoming events, or call
2: 883-6426. Hi, everyone. This is
4: Susan McRae. Welcome to Chaparral Roundup. Hi, Chaparral debuted back in 67 and lasted until 71. March 12th through the 14th in Tucson, Arizona, I'll be hosting Chaparral Roundup, a get-together with fans, friends, and special guests featuring confessions of an acting cowboy, highlights of the life and career of Don Collier, who was Sam Butler on the show, lunch at the White Stallion Ranch, the location where we shot several episodes of the high chaparral with music a western show a question and answer panel with special guests the great western band fort worth west and so much more the registration form with all information is on the website chaparralroundup.com or on the facebook page chaparral roundup march 12th through the 14th 2021 in tucson arizona great fun with great people chaparral roundup. You don't want to miss it. Stranger, you
0: just yucked yourself into a hole in the head. This is the Voices of the West.
1: It ain't a western unless you're 77.
4: Welcome. God, you just
2: talked yourself into a hole in the head. <laughs>
1: Welcome back to Amo Francis Voices of the West. Harry Alexander with okay, you in, along with uh, Bunker to okay. France. Oh, four and uh, four in Los Angeles is Todd Roberts. And okay. in New Mexico is and in New Mexico is our guest, Johnny V. Bobs.
2: Okay, thanks. There, there we go. Oh, right. well, yeah. <laughs> ba- anyway. Hey, i have i I've, I've got a I've got a Question, comment, something or other. I I've got no idea what I'm doing. Uh, but apparently, well, this is this is confusing to me. But you know, the Cherry Valance character was much bigger originally. Now I've heard many different stories that Hawks uh, was not happy with uh, with Ireland's behavior, uh, drinking and smoking marijuana. But also that uh, they were both uh, wooing Joanne Drew, in Ireland won, married her later, and Hawks didn't like that. But one of the other things was I I understand that Cary Grant turned down the role of Cherry Valance, and Gary Cooper turned down the role of Dunson. There are reports
3: of that um, that uh, Cooper uh, Cooper. Was to play the Dunson role, and that the Hawks asked Grant to play the Cherry Valance role, which was good, which was like you said, it was, it was a much bigger part. It's a bigger part in in uh, board Chase's uh, book, and uh, but they cut it down. And, but Cooper wouldn't do it because Dunson was too um, brutal, and Grant would. I mean, I. I'm trying to track down the, the, the Grant part. I, I have a little bit of a hard time picturing, um, Jerry Grant and any Western,
4: yeah, uh, really. but
3: especially as Cherry <laughs> Valant. So, uh, I'm, I'm working Wayne, on that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the other thing is, you know, a lot of times publicity people put out names mm-hmm. and, and you find a lot of people connected with movies who, who, who probably were never even seriously considered for the movie.
2: Um, well, Scott Eyman's so, got a book out now. Just come out on Cary Grant. Maybe there'll be something in that to help us figure it out.
3: There's nothing in that oh, uh, to okay. help us figure that out. So, uh, and that leads me to more to believe that maybe the Grant piece is is more myth. The Ireland Drew connection. Uh, John Ireland denied that. I mean, he didn't deny that that his role got cut, and uh, there are enough sources that say that. Hawks and Ireland clashed mostly because of um you know whether whether uh, Ireland was smoking weed, which there's a great story about John Ireland and Robert Mitchum uh, <laughs> a few years later, underneath the table at a at a local Hollywood hangout smoking a joint underneath the table uh and Ireland even admitted that he was that you know he was drinking a lot on the set, so that kind of that that and somebody once told me, when you're in Hawks' doghouse, you're, you're, you're in the doghouse. I mean, if you get on his wrong side, you're on his wrong side. So they cut down the part substantially. And, uh, but, you know, still, John Ireland is, uh, does a great job in that role. He's like uh, perfect. And, yeah. uh, and you'd think he would go on to, to make, uh, make a career. And he, and he, you know, a couple of years later, he's in, uh, All the King's Men. Uh, where he gets an Academy Award nomination. Now, Ireland says that. He says he hardly knew Joanne Drew on the set of Red River. And Joanne Drew wasn't even Hawks' first choice for uh, that role. And and he says they met and started having their affair and eventually got married during the making of uh, All the King's Men. Uh, And Hawks denied that he had anything to do with Joanne Drew. Um, He says, you know, we never we even went out went out to dinner maybe and that was it. So he denied that there was any. So the the, the well, he was female man, relationship too, yeah. and the female rivalry has been debunked by yeah. a number of sources, um, but the uh, the rest of it is still kind of open up.
1: We, we we need to do a show in some at some point, maybe make it a, like a two hour show uh, of uh, the movies made with the people who were in them. But who would we think could redo that movie or who might be better in that role than the person who was in that role or
2: or what if of what if yeah like, could could
1: superman beat up captain marvel exactly something like that <laughs> but anyway uh we're talking with johnny boggs uh, he's in um uh, new mexico right now todd roberts is in los angeles bunker to france and harry alexander where are in tucson and we will be back with much more of amil franzi's voices of the west right after these very important messages
0: Imus Wilkinson Investments, 7771911 is a unique investment management firm. They pay a little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships. They want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. I'm Miss Wilkinson Investments. They're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hi,
1: this is Craig Morgan with a special message for all those who have served in the U.S. Army. The National Museum of the United States Army, to be built at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, will include the Soldiers' Registry, an electronic record of Americans who have worn the Army uniform, recognizing their service. I've already added my story to the registry. I hope you'll add yours. To learn more and to make your story a permanent part of the National Army Museum, visit armyhistory.org.
0: Read classic western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net.
1: And we'll take us out on a little bit of a two-step here.
5: I like that. <laughs> yeah,
2: i kick up my heels there here. There you go. Harry
1: Alexander Booker to France, Todd Roberts. This is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Our guest, Johnny D. Boggs, and New Mexico. And Johnny's written a number of books about uh, film history and such. And one of the books I want to oh, talk yeah. to you about is your comprehensive guide about Billy the Kid on film, 1911 to 2012. And I'm sorry you had to sit through uh, all those terrible films <laughs> in order to write the book. But what, I want to get your impression of the uh, uh, Johnny Mac Brown portrayal of Billy the Kid. <laughs>
2: Careful, that's what well. You, know, you can read
3: the, the, the Alabama accent doesn't really kind of fit what we know about Billy the Kid. Well, true. Uh, the, the 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 one the story is that uh, when they they made the movie, uh, they were, they originally were going to follow up true and, and have Billy die, but nobody wanted to see uh, Johnny Mac Brown die, so they changed that ending. It's uh it's. Um, uh, well, as, we, as I said, as I said when, I, when I wrote the film book on just movies about Jesse James, I had to set, sit through a lot of bad movies.
4: Yeah.
3: But when I had to sit through more movies about Billy the Kid, I realized, you know, Jesse James
2: wasn't that bad. Wasn't that uh, After bad.
1: all. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure where you're at with that particular film with, with Mac Brown, but that, I think, is it's a favorite of mine. And, Me uh, too. Because Johnny Mac is a favorite of mine. But I, th- I see him portraying that character much like Clue Gulager did in uh, uh, the, uh, the, tall, man. the tall, tall Man television series. And I, I, I don't know if, um, if that was the exact personality or that type of personality. Um, was fitting with Billy the Kid, you know, uh, where was it Emilio Estevez who played... Emilio,
2: or was it right. Emilio Estevez? It was Emilio Estevez, yeah. yeah.
1: Who played uh, in, in uh, Young Guns there, um, which I thought was pretty good, too, but I think he was just too psycho. Well, you know, growing well, up... The,
3: I mean, as I say, the, the reflections are... are the, the character of reflections are usually an interpretation or, or, or representation of the times when they're made. Uh-huh. Yes. So um, Johnny McBrown's coming out in the, in the Great Depression, and so he's reflecting this kind of period like that, and, and you want the hero to... Um, to be really good and, and, and get away at the end uh, Emilio Estevez when he's playing it uh, it's a reflection of the go-go 80s and, uh, and actually John Fusco yeah. who did the, the screenplay for young guns he he, he told me that his, his first um, uh, the opening line was like four riders appear on a hill if they were a hundred years later they'd be on Harleys.
4: <laughs> and, uh, that's
3: that's how the movie got made that's how that movie yeah. got made so it's a reflection of, of the 80s and it was a huge hit now the thing about Young Guns is um, it really it's, it's such a financial success that it immediately sends a sequel into production you know if, if Young Guns doesn't make it because you go back a few years Silverado and Pale Rider did not reinvent the western film no. uh, they just had this little Lackadaisical box office and lackadaisical reviews. Young Guns um, might not be a great film, but it's a huge hit. Mm-hmm. If Young Guns isn't a success. That you can argue that um, um, Dances with Wolves and Unforgiven might not have ever been made. So mm-hmm. that's a well, that's fairly a significant
5: movie for that way. Yeah. What did you because th- of making it with the the Brat Pack is what brought right. all those people into the theater. The but I want to go back just a second. Uh, Johnny, because you've written a book about both these subjects, Billy the Kid, and uh, now this one with Red River. But there was a controversy between Hawks and Hughes that came um, uh, uh, came about during the making of The Outlaw, where Hughes felt slighted that Hawks had stolen the scene between Dunstan and Matt had come out of The Outlaw. Originally, and he felt that he had been kind of ripped off because Hawks had, had worked on that. So, you want to chat well, about Hawks, that
3: a little? Hawks, um, I mean, again, and you get to the who, who story. You're going to believe uh, Hawks was the original director for The Outlaw, which which is a, a strange and, and fairly terrible movie. Uh, um, and Hawks was either fired. Or the story is Hawk had a chance to direct Sergeant York and so he, he pulled out on his own. So he's either fired. Either way, Hughes is ticked off about it. So, um, Hughes is, that movie was originally released in 43. It has a limited release because of the censors. Uh, he brings it back out in 46 with a little more success with it, but it eventually made a ton of money, um, mainly because of Jane Russell. Uh, so, right before, like a week before um, Red River is scheduled to be released, Hawks files an injunction to stop it from being shown because of, um, he says, they've stolen the scene where the showdown's scene. And there are different stories about how this comes about. Um, there are similar scenes. Now, um, what Hawks, Hawks has to go off to Europe to make... Uh, I was a male war bride with Cary Grant. So he tells Christian Nyby, his editor, um, to, you know, get this fixed so that we can get this movie out because they've spent a lot of money. They're way over budget. The movie has been been like two years since since it was filmed and it still hasn't been released. United Artists has has, has threatened to sue for uh, failure to deliver the the, uh, product. So it's It's tough, and and Niby has to go with Hughes and figure out what they didn't like about it, and he and Hughes wanted to get the first cut. Niby says, "You're you're not cutting all this out. You're just doing it for spiteful." What do you think is plagiarism? What they did, they finally cut out in the in the original release. The original release that was already at 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 theaters. um, They they um, Hawks uh, the John Wayne character stops, holsters his gun, and says, "Draw." And Garth's character, um, the character of Garth played by Montgomery Clip, won't draw. And it's like, well, I'll make you. And he starts shooting. It's similar to the Outlaw where the Pat Garrett um, or the Doc Holliday character uh, tries to get his friend Billy the Kid to draw. And he won't draw. Right. And they start shooting at him. And Nick Nick cuts out his um earlobes and stuff like that. So it's similar but but Hawks uh, later was jokingly saying he got you know um, telegrams from directors like Frank Capra says uh, hey you can't run this the scene where you say I love you or uh, someone else says hey you, you can't say um, um, stick him up or, or stuff like that. Um, they, anyway so they cut out that so in the movie that was released this is a little bit shorter what happens is John Wayne, after he's been wounded by the John Ireland uh, character, keeps coming by, and then he just starts shooting. He shoots and shoots and shoots, and Cliff won't draw his gun, so then they get to the fist fight, and then Joe Andrew breaks it up and patches everything up, and it's a happy ending. So that's the story about that. So would Hawks have won, uh, or would Hughes have won the suit? I seriously doubt it, but... At this point in the game, they were desperate to get that movie out, so they just made the trims and to appease Hughes. And, you know, Hughes is getting publicity, too, for the outlaw. No. And then Hawks is getting publicity uh, for uh, Red River. So it was kind of a uh, um, a win-win situation for both of them. I mean, Red River made money. Uh, it was a huge hit um, on the box office and um, established Wayne as a, as a really – Box office draw. The next year, Wayne after forty nine, after fifty, Wayne appears in the, in the uh, you know top box office, and he's on that list for, for uh, twenty
2: five well, years. Speaking of drawing, we've drawing to an end.
1: We have drawn to the end. We're <laughs> way over, but hey, that's okay. It's not radio, so that's the important. Part. But it was good. It was good, very good. Johnny, thank you so much for thank joining us this afternoon. Appreciate
5: it very much. sir. Well, uh, I appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Yeah. Come back, anytime. Johnny. I'm sorry that I was late. Yeah. Open, invi- no, that's okay,
1: Todd. open invitation anytime, my friend. So uh, we appreciate it. Appreciate it very you can much. Be a Thank you so much. If you want. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, that's the, all the time we've got for this edition of Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles. Bunker to France here. And I'm Harry Alexander, and I'm here in Tucson as well.
2: And 78, 79, 80. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, well, we'll be talking at you again. Go so on.
0: Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West.